Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number four. And of course, on the Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, we've been making our way through the book of Luke. And uh, we're in a series called Journey with Jesus. And we've been journeying with Jesus. We started back in the Christmas season uh, with a series called Celebrating Christ. And we went through those chapters leading up to the birth of Christ. And of course, we talked about the birth of Christ and the events after that. And uh, when the New Year started, we started uh, the, the, in, the, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that uh, when he was about 30 years old, uh, he began his ministry. And of course, we looked at John the Baptist and we looked at his baptism. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at a very famous passage of Scripture, something that happens right after the baptism of Christ, right before he kind of officially begins his ministry. And we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, but this is, of course, the temptation of Christ. If you're there in Luke chapter 4, in verse 1, the Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. In those days he did eat nothing. When they were ended, he afterward and hungered. And of course, we, we have this passage of Scripture, these 13 verses that deal with uh, Jesus being uh, in the desert for 40 days. He's, of course, fasting during this time. And during those 40 days, he is uh, being tempted of the devil. In fact, here in Luke 4, it makes it clear that he is being 40 days tempted. Oftentimes, people think that Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days, uh, and he was fasting 40 days, and at the end of that, the devil tempted him. But the Bible here tells us that during those 40 days, he was being tempted uh, during those 40 days of the devil. Now, keep your finger there in Luke chapter 4. That's obviously our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 4. If you start at the end of the New Testament and head backwards, you have the book of Revelation, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. I want you to know that this is not only an interesting story we find in the Bible, but it's very important uh, to the doctrine of our salvation to realize that Jesus, the Bible tells us, was tempted, but yet he never sinned. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, notice what the Bible says there. It says, seeing then, Hebrews 4, 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, and this great high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll see that here in a minute, that is passed into the heavens. Notice, Jesus, the Son of God, that's our great high priest. Let us hold fast our profession. Notice verse 15, for we have not an high priest. Who's the high priest? Jesus, the Son of God. It says, for we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't have a high priest that doesn't understand what you're going through, what you've gone through, that, uh, that, that, is, that is removed from you and doesn't understand. No, our high priest can be touched with the feelings of our, of our infirmities. Here's why. It says, but was in all points tempted like uh, we are. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every point in the same way that you and I are tempted. The only difference between his temptations and our temptations is that we often give in to our temptations. The Bible says about him that he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We know that Jesus was sinless. He was without sin. He never gave in to temptation, but yet he was tempted in all points like we. So what we see here in this story is the devil coming to tempt Jesus, and we see how he has victory over temptation. Keep your finger there in Hebrews, if you would. We're going to come back to the book of Hebrews or near there during the sermon, so I'd like you to be able to get there quickly. If you can put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in the book of Hebrews, and then go with me to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter number four. And uh, we'll see, I want you to notice something there in Matthew four, uh, the same story of the temptation of Christ found in another gospel, Matthew chapter four, and uh, look at verse 1. Uh, but while you turn there, let, let, let me just say this. Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Giving in to temptation is a sin. 
And what we learn from the story is not only proving the point that Jesus was tempted in all points, uh, like as we are, yet without sin, but we also learn from Jesus how to have victory over temptation and how to not have the, the fact that we don't have to uh, give in to temptation. And let me just say this just by way of introduction about the temptation. These are not the only temptations that Jesus dealt with during his lifetime. In fact, I'm not, I don't necessarily believe that these are the only temptations he dealt with during the 40 days that he was tempted of the devil. Uh, uh, but these are three temptations the Bible highlights for us in regards to temptations that the devil brought to Jesus and how he was able to uh, 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 overcome them and have victory over them. Just by way of introduction as well, let me say this. It's interesting that the Bible tells us, are you there in Matthew 4? Look at verse 1. It says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. Now, wouldn't you, if, if we just took that phrase out of the Bible, wouldn't you say that's a good phrase, to be led of the Spirit? I mean, the Bible says that we should walk in the Spirit, that we should be led of the Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit uh, should, should lead and guide our lives. Here, we're told about a very good thing, that Jesus was led of the Spirit. But I want you to notice, it says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, to be tempted of the devil. Here we're told that the Spirit is the one leading Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He's led up of the Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus? He leads him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. See, it's interesting because Jesus has not yet officially begun his ministry. We know the first step in that road was for his baptism. We talked about that last week. But then we see here that he's led of the Spirit. See, if you and I were writing the Bible, we would say, then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into a great crusade into some major conference, into a, a, a big multitude of people where he preached the gospel. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, and you need to understand this, that being led of the Holy Ghost may not necessarily be what you and I think, because we think, oh, if you're led of the Spirit, you're going to preach this great, these great sermons. And I do think you need to be led of the Spirit to preach great sermons. We're going to think you're going to be a great soul winner. And I do think you need to be uh, led of the Spirit to be a great soul winner. But here we're told that when Jesus was led of the Spirit, he was led into the wilderness. He was led into isolation. He was led into a season of life where he was out there by himself. What was he doing? He was fasting. He was praying. He was preparing himself uh, for his ministry. He was getting closer to God than he, than, than he already was. And here's the interesting thing. While he's led of the Spirit, while he's in the wilderness, while he's fasting for 40 days. I don't know if you've ever attempted to fast, but fasting for 40 days is a very hard task. I've never done it. Uh, you know, people fast for one, two, three days, and it's, it's, it's pretty hard. There's only three people in the Bible who ever fasted for 40 days, of course, Jesus being one of them. And here's what we, you know, we think Jesus must be on the spiritual high. I mean, he's out in the wilderness, he's fasting, he's praying, he's filled with the Spirit, he's led of the Spirit, but yet the Bible says that while he's on that spiritual high, being 40 days tempted of the devil. It's interesting to me that the devil will try to attack the devil will not try to attack those that are already living for him. The devil, you, you, you're, you're out at the bar. The devil's not going to show up and tempt you at the bar. You're already there. He's going to go after those that are filled with the Spirit. Those that are fasting and praying. Those that are accomplishing great things for God and attempting to do things for God. Those are the ones that he's interested in. So here we see Jesus being led of the Spirit. And here's what I'm telling you. I, I hope that you will want to be led of the Spirit. I hope that you will want to be full of the Spirit. But I do want you to have every full disclaimer. Being led of the Spirit may lead you directly in confrontation with the devil. So we see that Jesus here is being led of the Holy Ghost. And he's led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And I want you to notice if you're there in Matthew 4, look at the last three words of that verse, Matthew 4 and verse 1, of the devil. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 2, and uh, you, can, you can turn back there, Luke chapter 4, in verse 2, the Bible says this, being 40 days tempted, notice these three words, of the devil. Just by way of introduction, let me say this as well. The devil is known as the tempter. He is the one that brings temptation. And he's not the only one that brings temptation, but he is known as the tempter because he is often uh, behind bringing temptation. In fact, the very first time we meet the devil in the Bible 
if you're familiar with the story. We meet him as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And what is he doing? He's tempting Eve. We see him here tempting, uh, tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is the tempter. And he's trying to get you and I and all of us <clears throat> to sin, to fall into the temptation. You say, why would he do that? Here's why. Because sin will destroy your life. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read this for you. You can jot this down if you're taking notes. 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says this, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. The Bible teaches that one of the... The Bible says that we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices, and this is not his only device, but one of the major things that the devil does is he's the tempter. <clears throat> he brings temptation to you and I, and I'm here to tell you, and we're going to learn from Jesus how we can uh, overcome those temptations, but let me just let you in on a little secret. Before you get too buddied up with the devil, realize this, that while he's the tempter, he may seem nice, and he may look good, and he may seem very enticing, but the devil is not only known as the tempter, he's also known as the accuser of the brethren. And what the devil often does, and what we see in the Bible, is that he will show up nice, he'll show up uh, 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 with, with enticement, he'll show up as a quote-unquote friend trying to tempt you to sin. But as soon as you do, he will then step back, point, and say, look what he did. He will tempt you to sin, and then he'll humiliate you in that same sin. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the adversary. He's a lion walking about, roaring, seeking whom he may devour. And we have this tempter who is against us and against Christ. And we see how Jesus responded to these temptations. You're there in Luke chapter 4. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to maybe write some of these things down. On the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down notes. There's three temptations that we see in this story. <clears throat> the first one is what I call the temptation of appetites. These are temptations that Satan brings upon us and they have to do with our physical appetites. And please know this, the devil will tempt you when you are physically weak. Luke chapter 4 and verse 2, notice what it says, being 40 days. Here we have Jesus, physically, physically weak. He has not ate for 40 days. 40 days tempted the devil. In those days, he did eat nothing. He was weak. He was hungry. The Bible says, uh, uh, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Jesus is physically hungry. He's tired. He's alone. He's been in this wilderness. And at this time, when he's uh, physically weak and physically hungry, the devil shows up and tempts him with a physical appetite. Notice verse 3. Then the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones, he said, command this stone that it may be made bread. The first temptation we see here is a temptation of appetites. Jesus was tempted with a physical appetite, and he uh, is, tempt, is tempted here when he's physically weak, and the devil will tempt you when you are weak. And if we're going to have victory over temptation, we have to be uh, aware of these times when we are weak. And please understand this. Here Jesus is being tempted with food, and obviously he hasn't ate for 40 days, so this is a big temptation when you haven't ate for 40 days. But this is really, I believe, just an, a, a, uh, an example of, of all physical appetites that uh, people can be uh, uh, tempted with. Uh, when we're talking about temptation of the physical appetite, uh, we're not just talking about food, although uh, food uh, can definitely uh, be a, a, a temptation and things like gluttony, but we're talking about drugs, we're talking about alcohol, we're talking about pornography, we're talking about gambling, stealing, lust, covetousness, fornication, adultery, all of these appetites of the flesh are temptations that the devil will bring, and he will bring them when you are weak. When you deal with people and you try to help people recovering from drugs and alcohol and things of that nature, in the recovery world or in recovery programs, they use an acronym called uh, HALT. It's an acronym for these words, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And they'll teach you that you are the most susceptible to 
relapse or to use when you find yourself in one of these uh, categories. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, uh, you, and, and they, they try to teach those that are trying to get victory over these physical appetites that when they find themselves in one of these categories, they need to halt. They need to stop and realize I'm in a place right now, I'm in a position right now where I am weak and I'm susceptible to temptation. And it's interesting to me that, you know, we have that, uh, that acronym, HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And uh, when Satan shows up, we could say that Jesus was both what was hungry and he was lonely, and I'm sure he was tired. Been in the wilderness for 40 days. And he's tempted of these physical appetites. Here's another example. Or you, you go to the book of James, if you would. If you kept your finger right there in Hebrews, continue to keep your place in Hebrews. But right after Hebrews, you have the book of James, James chapter 1. While you turn there, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. You go to James 1, and I'll read to you from 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5. Here's an example of the physical appetites, the temptations of appetites that the devil will give us. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, the Bible says this. This is a verse that is written towards married couples. It says, defraud ye not one another. Now when Paul says here to married couples to not defraud one another, he's referring to uh, uh, husbands and wives and the physical relationship of marriage. And when he says defraud, he's referring to uh, when a husband or a wife would uh, not give that physical relationship uh, to their spouse or would withhold that from their spouse. Here Paul says, defraud ye not one another. He says, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. He says, look, Paul's saying, if you're a married couple, you need to be regularly participating in that physical relationship of marriage. He said, the only time that you shouldn't be doing that is with consent for a time that you may uh, give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And here's what he says at the end of the verse. He says, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. He says, look, as a married couple, you need to not be just spending a long period of time without coming together physically in that physical relationship. Otherwise, you're going to open yourself up or be susceptible to Satan tempting you for your incontinency. That word incontinency means uh, you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to be unable to restrain yourself or resist or unable to control yourself. And it goes again with this idea of halt. Don't get too hungry. Don't get angry. Don't get lonely. Don't get tired. Why? Because when you find yourself in positions of weakness, that's when the devil shows up and he says, command this stone that it may be made bread. He tries to tempt you. The devil will tempt you when you are physically weak. The devil will tempt you with the appetite of the flesh. Are you there in James chapter 1? Look at verse 14. James 1, 14, the Bible says this, But every man is tempted. Notice. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You see the word lust there? The word lust simply means desire. Is, the word lust is not simply in a connotation of a physical relationship between a, uh, a man and a woman, although obviously that's uh, a, a way that it can be uh, applied. But the Bible talks about people lusting after food. The Bible talks about people lusting after money. He says, the Bible says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, notice, and enticed and attracted. Someone said this, temptation is bait on a hook. And I'm here to tell you something. The devil knows how to bait your hook. The devil knows exactly what it is that he needs to do to tempt you that you may be drawn away of your own lust and entice. 1 John chapter 2, if you would, you're there in James. Go, go uh, past 1 and 2 Peter to 1 John. Continue to keep your place in Hebrews. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. The Bible says, 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world. Notice, notice these, these things. We're going to see all of these in, in the temptations of Christ. Not in, in, in Christ, but in the temptations that Satan brought to Christ. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Listen, 
you and I need to understand and you and I need to be aware of the fact that while we are in this world and while we are in this physical body, there is the lust of the flesh, there is the lust of the eyes, there is the pride of life, and the devil is going to use that to tempt. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You need to be aware of that. It's interesting because Satan understands physically the best time to tempt. He goes to Jesus when he has not ate physically for 40 days and 40 nights and tempts him with physical appetite. But let me just say this. Jesus was ready. Obviously, we know he's ready because he's the son of God. But he was also ready because at the same time that Jesus was the most physically maybe susceptible to the temptation of food, he was also the most spiritually ready to deal with temptation because he just he's spending 40 days and 40 nights fasting and in prayer with God. The best way to get uh, uh, power over the desires of your flesh is to pray and fast and to weaken the grip and the strength of the flesh in your life. If you deal with, if you have problems with character and discipline, it's because your flesh is too strong. It has too much control. And we see that Jesus, I believe he knew that he was going to be tempted of the devil, and he prepares by weakening his flesh. In the same way that Satan uses that to tempt him in a weakened state, he has weakened his flesh. But he's not just weakened his flesh, he's also uh, 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 strengthened his spirit. He's out of the spirit, and he's ready to face this. So we see this first temptation, the temptation of appetites. Satan brings a physical appetite. Why don't you notice Jesus' response to the temptation? Luke chapter 4, if you would, go back to Luke chapter 4, keep your place in Hebrews. Because look, when it comes to temptations, we need to be aware. I believe that God put this in the Bible because God wants you and I to be aware of the fact that the devil is going to tempt you with physical appetites. Maybe it'll be food. Maybe it'll be lust. Maybe it'll be adultery. Maybe it'll be fornication. Maybe it'll be covetousness. Maybe, you know, whatever it'll be, it'll be the lust of the eyes. It'll be the lust, lust of the flesh. It'll be the pride of life. He's going to tempt you uh, with these things. You, you and I need to be aware of the temptation of physical appetites. But I want you to notice the response from Jesus. How, how do we deal with that temptation? Luke chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says this, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. See, the temptation is... You have a physical appetite. The response, I want you to notice from Jesus, is this. There's more to life than physical appetites. Here Satan says, hey, you haven't ate in a while. Why don't you uh, command this stone that it may be made bread? And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. He says, you're, 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 you, you have a physical temptation. But the response from Jesus is this. The devil comes and says, hey, you've got a physical appetite here. Let me entice you and, uh, and, 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 and try to draw you away with your own lust. And Jesus' response is this. Yes, I'm hungry, but there's more to life than hunger. There's more to life than physical appetites. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You're trying to tempt me with bread, but that's not all I need. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, the response to the temptation of physical appetites is this. There's more to life than physical appetites. Go to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6, let me show this to you. Kind of tease this out for you in the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew 6.25, the Bible says this, Therefore I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, He says, Take no thought of you for your life. What, notice, notice what He brings up. What ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. What is He talking about? Physical needs. I physically need to eat. I need to drink. I need to put, uh, have raiment and put on clothes. But here's what He says. He says, is not the life more than meat? The word meat is a word in our King James Bible that simply means food. He says, you think of 
your life and you think about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to put on your body. But he says, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? He says, isn't there more to life than just fulfilling your physical appetites? Go to John chapter 4, if you would. John chapter 4, look at verse 31. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're going to go past Luke into the book of John. John chapter 4 and verse 31. Notice here we have Jesus, uh, uh, while he's uh, been waiting for the disciples to bring him lunch, he's, uh, while they left, he, of course, is uh, uh, with the woman at the well, and he's given her the gospel. At this point, the woman at the well has left, and the disciples come back. And notice John 4.31, the Bible says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, now keep in mind, when they left, he was physically hungry. Now, they, they left, he meets the woman at the well, and he does a little soul winning. He gets her saved. Now they come back, and they said, Master, eat. And he's trying to teach them a lesson. What's the lesson? That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That there's more to life than just the fulfilling of our physical needs. He, they said, Master, eat. But he said unto them, John 4, 32, I have meat to eat that you know not of. They said, we brought you food. We brought you lunch. He said, I've got food that you don't know about. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him out to eat? Did somebody else pick up lunch for him? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Amen. He said, what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Man shall not live by bread alone. We're not simply animals living to fulfill our physical needs. There's more to life than just the physical need. So when the devil shows up, at times when you're maybe susceptible to, to sin, when you're hungry and angry and lonely and tired, you, we have to remember, like the Lord Jesus Christ, that when He shows up and He says, turn these stones and make them bread, you're hungry physically, you've you got a physical appetite, let me tempt you with that appetite. The response that we should remind ourselves and tell ourselves and remind the devil is this, that there's more to life than just fulfilling physical needs. Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, let me give you kind of a tip for temptation. There's three temptations he gives us in this passage, and there's three tips I want to give you connected with each of these temptations. It's interesting to me because in this temptation, you'll notice you see the response from Jesus. There's more to life than bread. But I want you to notice that we can also learn this, that we can use the Word of God to fight against temptation. See here, Jesus said, it is written, and he quotes the word of God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now you don't have to turn there, you stay there in Luke chapter 4, let me read this to you, but he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, let me read this verse to you, the Bible says, because when Jesus said that, that quote, that quote is in connection with a very famous, well-known story in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 8.3, the Bible says, And he humbled thee, this is God speaking to the children of Israel, and suffered thee, the word suffered means he allowed thee to hunger. Isn't that interesting? Because Jesus is hungry right now. In fact, Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days, not eating, and he's hungry, and he quotes from a passage in the Old Testament where God is speaking to the children of Israel saying, yeah, God allowed you to go into the wilderness, just like Jesus was in the wilderness, and to be hungry in the wilderness, just like Jesus was hungry in the wilderness. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna. Remember, God sent down manna from heaven, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And I don't have time to preach on that passage, but when God would send down manna, bread from heaven, first of all, that was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. But because Jesus is the word, that's also a picture of the word of God, how man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if you remember that story, God would send bread down every morning, and every morning they would get up, and they would have to go find the bread that was needed for that day. Give us this day our daily bread, they would pick the bread that was needed and they would eat that bread for that day. But if you remember, they were not allowed to get more bread than was needed for that day. 
It's not like they were allowed to go out there on Monday and say, well, I'm going to get enough bread for Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday. The Bible says that if they did that, then whatever was left over, whatever they ate on that day, the next day they would wake up and that bread had bread worms and it had gone moldy and it had gone bad. Why? Because God wanted them to go out every day and find bread. Why? Because he was teaching them a lesson that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. There's a lesson there on Bible reading and it is this. You need to open up the word of God, the bread of life, and feast on spiritual bread every day. Amen. And don't get this idea where you say, well, I'm reading nine chapters today, and I'm going to read the whole New Testament in the month of January, and then I'll be done with Bible reading for the rest of the year, because I've read so much in January. No, no, no. That's going to bread worms. You need to read every day. Amen. Every day you need to be reading the word of God. Every day you need to be feeding yourself spiritually. Every day. And here's what we learn. We learn that Jesus used the word of God fight against temptation. This is why the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is why the Bible says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. This is why the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. I'm just telling you, maybe you're here this morning, you say, man, I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with, uh, with smoking cigarettes. Well, you know what? You know what you should do? You should go home and find yourself a three-by-five card and write a verse on there to help you with smoking cigarettes, maybe something about your temple, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, and you ought to memorize that verse, and you ought to put that verse in your pocket or in your purse or wherever you normally keep your cigarettes, and every time your flesh wants you to reach for that pack of cigarettes, you pull out that verse and you quote it to the devil! Amen. And you respond, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I do have this physical appetite that wants to smoke. I do have this physical appetite that wants to drink. I do have this physical appetite that wants to uh, commit adultery or fornicate or, or gamble or whatever it is. Uh, I do have this physical appetite, but there's more to life than just physical appetites. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we see this first temptation. It is a temptation of appetites. And we see this tip from Jesus that we can use the word of God to fight against temptation. But I want you to notice, secondly, not only do we see the temptation of appetites, we see a second temptation that the devil brings to Jesus. Go back to Luke chapter 4. We see first the temptation of appetites. I want you to notice, secondly, the temptation of ambition. The temptation of ambition. We saw the temptation of appetites, then we see the temptation of ambition. What is Ambition. It is a strong desire to do or achieve something. Here we see the devil bring his temptation to Jesus. Notice what he says. Luke 4 and verse 5. And the devil taketh him, because he tempted him with bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the Bible says this in verse 5. And the devil taketh him up into an high mountain, and showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world. Notice, in a moment of time. By the way, I believe that this is something supernatural the devil did. There's, no, there's not a high enough mountain for you to see all the kingdoms of the world. He takes him on a high mountain probably to see the kingdoms of that area. But then the Bible tells us, in a moment of time, he showed them the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me to whomsoever I will give it. Here, the devil shows up and he says, he says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you the power and the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I will give it. Now, now I want you to notice a couple of things. Look there at verse 6. And the devil said unto him, all this power, remember, he just got done showing him, he showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world, in a moment of time. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for, don't miss it, for that is delivered unto me. Do you know that the devil is in charge of this world? I mean, the devil is telling Jesus, Hey, you know the kingdoms of this world, and the power of this world, and the glory of the world, it's been delivered unto me. And notice Jesus doesn't say, that's not true, devil. I, yeah, that's not true. No, no, no. The devil is in charge of this world. Go to John. Let me just show you a couple of verses. John chapter 12. You're there in Luke? Go to the next book, John. John chapter 12, verse 31. John 12, 31. The Bible says this. John 12, 
31, now is the judgment of this world. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall, notice, this is a reference to Satan. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The devil is referred to as the prince of this world. You say, I don't like that. Okay, well, you're really not going to like this one. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you're there in John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, notice what it says, in whom the God, you see the word God there? It's a lowercase g God, not a capital G, this is not referring to the real God, the true God, the God of heaven, Jehovah God, this is a, 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 a false God. In whom the God, lowercase g, of this world, who's being referred to here, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice that the devil is referred to as the prince of this world. He's referred to as the God of this world. I'm here to tell you something. He's the God, the lowercase g God, in charge of this world. And he goes to Jesus and he says, if you will worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms have been delivered unto me, and I will give you the power and the glory if you shall worship me. And I'm here to tell you something. This is why some of you Fox News Baptists need to stop being so excited about who's running for president. You say, well, what's wrong with, with a president? Hey, let me tell you something. A president doesn't become a president in this world, and especially not of the most powerful nation in the world, without the devil allowing him to. Because the kingdoms of this world and the power of this world and the glory of this world has been delivered unto him, and he gives it to them. This is what we often refer to, people refer to as selling your soul to the devil. And I'm not saying that people literally, you know, meet with Satan in some corner somewhere and sign a contract. But I'm here to tell you, there's many a politician, there's many a rock star, there's many an athlete, there's many a, 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 a movie star, and there's many a preacher who has worshipped the devil in order to get power and glory and fame. And here, Satan says to Jesus, go back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 6, And the devil said unto him, Look, can we just be honest? Some of these rock stars, they got more money they can spend their whole life. And their music sucks. I mean, I, I mean we, we sing how great thou art. That's beautiful music. That's the garbage the world's putting out. And you think to yourself, how do, they, how do they make so much money with this garbage? Uh, they sold their soul to the devil. That's how. I mean, Joel Osteen is the most powerful preacher in America. The richest preacher in America. Drove to his church this morning in a Lamborghini. And his preaching sucks. I mean, have you ever heard him preach? It's like, this guy, I mean, he's so boring. It's like, who's listening? How in the world? You know, you watch him on YouTube, and it's like, how do 10,000 people show up to here? And I know they show up for the rock concert. I get that. But the point is this. These people have sold their soul to the devil. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will, I give it. And notice what he wants. See, all I want is this, verse 7. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Let me tell you something. There is a temptation of ambition. That I can have more, I can succeed, I can climb that ladder, I can get more. And look, I'm all for being driven. I, I, think, I think we, especially men, ought to be driven. We, 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 we ought to get up and work hard every day and have goals and have things we're trying to accomplish. There's guys in our church that have businesses. I was just talking to one of our business owners this week, and I was saying, man, every time I talk to you, I'm just excited. I get, I get excited about accomplishing more and doing more. I think that as a man, we should be driven to accomplish more and do more and, 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 and accomplish great things. There's nothing wrong with that. God put that in us, but there is a, 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 a temptation Sometimes, too, as a preacher, you know, I should be driven to reach more people, uh, have more people. You say, why do you want to grow the church? Uh, just so you can have a bigger crowd? No, so we can reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we can help more lives be discipled and grown in the Lord. So we can accomplish more for God. 
So we should be driven, but let's be careful. You say, well, God put that, God, that driven desire. Well, let me tell you something. God also put a desire in you to eat. And God also put a desire in you to have a physical relationship with your, with your spouse. And God put a lot of desires in you, but you can take those to an extreme. And here we see Satan wanting to take them to an extreme, and he's offering Jesus the temptation of ambition. He began with appetites. Then he goes to ambition. Why don't you notice a response from our Savior? What do you do when the devil says, hey, if you cheat here, you could get that raise. If you lie to your boss here, you could get that promotion. Hey, as a preacher, if you don't preach that, if you cut out that part, if you don't say that part, you know, you could have a bigger crowd and you could have a, 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 a bigger church and you could have a bigger influence, you know. I mean, what do you do when Satan tempts you with that ambition? You just have to tell a small lie. You just have to forge this document. You just have to not tell uh, the boss about that situation or not tell the truth in this situation. You just have to lie a little bit. And, and the devil says, hey, just, just do it. And I'll, I'll give you all your ambition. Here's the response from Jesus, Luke 4 and verse 8. And Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. Notice again, he quotes the word of God. He says, for it is written, thou shalt Worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Amen. You say, what's the response? Here's, here, here's the temptation. The temptation is, you see these kingdoms of the world? I'll give them all to you if you worship me. And, and Jesus' response is, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. See, Satan says, I'll give you all these things you want. And Jesus' response is, all I want is God. He said, I'll give you all the things you want. I'll give you all the things you need. And Jesus' response is, all I need is God. Amen. He says, you worship me and you've got it. You've got the glory. You've got the power. You've got the faith. I'll give you anything you want. And Jesus says, all I want is God. Amen. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Reminds me of this famous verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love that song, Jesus Christ is made to me all I need, all I need. He alone is all my plea. He is all I need. Wisdom, righteousness, and power. Holiness is very hour. My redemption, full and free, He is all I need. And when Satan shows up and says, I know what you need. I know what you want. Let me tell you with appetite, and you say, there's more to life than just appetites. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. They don't say, what about ambition? I can give you faith. I can give you power. I can give you success. I can give you the things you want. The proper response is this. All I want is God. Amen. We talked about it on Wednesday night. The goal is God. Amen. Let me give you a little tip for temptation, though, here from this passage. Remember, in the first temptation, the tip was that we can use the Word of God to fight against temptation. There's another, tips, another tip here for temptation, and it is this. I want you to notice this. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world. Notice this little phrase. In a moment of time. In a moment of time. You know, what's interesting to me is that Satan always packages his temptations as an impulse buy. Right? I mean, you go to the grocery store to buy milk and eggs and chicken, but right before you get out, you see the Kit Kats, <laughs> the M&Ms. You weren't there for that. But if you don't get it right now, you're not going to be able to get it. It's an impulse buy. In a moment of time. He says, he says let me show you the kingdoms of the world, and you've got to do it right now. The sale ends in an hour. If you don't do it now, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. In a moment of time. Here's what's interesting, too. You know that Jesus, after his resurrection, said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth? You know what's interesting is that Jesus was already going to get all the kingdoms of the world. See, there's this little period of time in the prophecies known as the millennial reign of Christ, where Jesus will reign on this earth physically over the kingdoms of this world. See, 
Satan is offering to Jesus something that Jesus is already going to get. He's already going to get the kingdoms of this world. He's already going to be given the power of this world. He's already going to be given the fame of this world. You say, well, then where's the temptation? The temptation is this, in a moment of time. See, Satan is tempting Jesus to take what he's already going to get, but to take a shortcut to get it. This is the same temptation that he tempted Jacob with. Remember Jacob and Esau? God had already prophesied that Jacob was going to take the birthright. God had already prophesied that the, that the elder would serve the younger. I don't know how God was going to do it, but God was going to make sure that Jacob got the birthright from his father Isaac, not Esau. But what does Jacob do? He takes it into his own hands. He cheats and lies and steals to get that birthright. And because of that, he spends 20 years of his life paying for it. You know what the temptation is from, from Satan? Let me tell you young people. You know what the temptation is from Satan? Is to go ahead and, and, and give in to that lust and give in to that desire and go ahead and kiss and go ahead and sneak out and go ahead and, and, and look at pornography and go ahead and, 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 and give in to that desire. But I'm here to tell you something. Do you know that God wants you to one day get married and be able to fulfill that desire in a righteous way? But you know what Satan says? He says, I give it to you now in a moment of time and I'm here to tell you that it'll ruin your life. He'll destroy you. You'll spend 20 years like Jacob, paying because you went ahead of God. God wants you to have most of the things that you desire. God wants you to be able to fulfill those things in a righteous way. And God wants you to fulfill it in his timing. But Satan shows up and says, how about we do it now? In a moment of time as an impulse buy. See, Satan's temptations are often presented as an impulse buy. Don't let him talk you into taking a shortcut to something that God has already uh, given you and promised to give you in his timing. See, Jesus, it would have been foolish for him to worship the devil to get the kingdoms of this world when he was already promised the kingdoms of this world from God, from God the Father. So we see this temptation. What is it? It's the temptation of ambition. We see the first temptation. What is it? It is the temptation of appetites. But I want you to notice thirdly this morning, go back to Luke chapter 4, look at verse 9. Not only do we see the temptation of appetites, not only do we see the temptation of ambition, but we also see, thirdly, the temptation of arrogance. This is pride. You know the Bible says pride goeth before destruction? The temptation of arrogance. What is the temptation of arrogance? Here's the temptation of arrogance. It's you're so important, you can force the hand of God. You're so important, you need to get God on your agenda. You're so important, you need to get God to build your kingdom. See, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 9, Jesus is tempted here, and it's, and it's a very interesting temptation. The Bible says in Luke 4 and verse 9, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle. The word pinnacle means the highest point or the peak. Set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. Now that seems like an odd temptation. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point of the temple, and he says, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Now you say, well, why would Satan tempt him this way? Notice verse 10, for it is written. Now I want you to notice, because we've seen this phrase, for it is written in this passage. But I want you to notice in Luke 4 and verse 10, this is a, a, a different for it is written. Up to this point, we have seen the Lord Jesus Christ quote scripture saying, for it is written. Luke 4.10 is the devil speaking. Luke 4.10, we're about to see Satan quote scripture. Let me tell you something. You know the devil quotes scripture? For it is written. By the way, let me just say this. The devil quotes scripture and he misquotes scripture. He does not quote this passage properly. He says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up 
lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, I want, I want to show you how Satan misquoted this scripture. Keep your finger there in Luke chapter 4 and go with me to the book of Psalms, if you would, Psalm 91. You open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Psalm 91. See, here's Satan's temptation. He says, you know, Jesus, there's this verse in the Bible that says that if you fall, God will give charge over thee, or over the angels, he will give the angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan says to Jesus, he says, you know, Jesus, the Bible says... Don't you like when the devil says, the Bible says, for it is written that if you fall, God has given charge to the angels to make sure that you're okay, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. The problem is he misquotes this verse. He changes the Bible. He removes a section of the Bible. By the way, that's what he's been doing from the Garden of Eden. Questioning the word of God, hath God said, changing the word of God, you shall not surely die. He does it here. This is what the devil's been doing since the beginning. The Bible says that we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. He removes a section of scripture, by the way. That's why there's so many modern Bible versions today that have removed complete sections of scripture. Verses from the Bible. Why? Because they're doing what the devil wants them to do. They're removing parts of scripture. Here's what he's quoting, Psalm 91, 11. See if you can catch what he missed. For, he says, for it is written, Psalm 91 says, for he shall give his angels charge over thee. Satan said, he shall give his angels charge over thee. Psalm 91, 11 says, to keep thee. Satan said, to keep thee. Verse 12 says, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan said, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. What, Jesus, what, what Satan left out was the last little part of verse 11, Psalm 91, 11, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. Here's a little phrase, in all thy ways. Say, so what's the problem with removing that? Here's the point. The promise that we find in Psalm 91 is this, that Jesus was not going to die until God the Father wanted him to die. That Jesus' death was not going to be accidental. The cross was not accidental. Dispensationalists today like to teach that the cross was an accident. It wasn't supposed to happen. The Jews weren't supposed to deny. The Bible says, Jesus said, I laid out my life. And no man taketh from me. His death was not accidental. What the Bible is saying here, because Jesus found himself. In fact, next week, we're going to look at a story. The very first sermon Jesus preached, they tried to throw him off a cliff. And the Bible says that he's able to maneuver his way around them and escape that. Why? Because the Bible teaches that God the Father was not going to allow Jesus to die until the appointed time when he was to die. So the promise was this, that as the Messiah was out ministering in all thy ways or in all his ways as he was doing what he was supposed to be doing in life, he wasn't just going to fall and slip and die because God had given charge to the angels to take care of him lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. The reason that Satan is bringing this up is because he's doubting that Jesus is God. He's doubting that Jesus is the Son of God. He's saying, if thou be the Son, if you're really the Son of God, well, you know what God said? God said that he's not going to allow the Messiah to dash his foot against the stone. So why don't you throw yourself out of this pinnacle and prove that you're the Messiah? That's the temptation. The temptation is a, he's, he's trying to appeal to the arrogance of Jesus, saying, well, if you're really who you say you are, I mean, is you're, if you're as bad as you say you are, is you're as, if you're as tough as you say you are, if you could hold on your liquor, isn't this how people tempt you? I mean, if you really mean it, he says, if thou be the Son of God, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. But the, the keep thee was in all thy ways as he was going through life. It wasn't a promise for Jesus to become a daredevil and start doing all sorts of dangerous things just to prove. Watch, look, I'm going to take this gun and shoot myself in the head, and it's just click, click, click. He won't let me die. 
He wasn't supposed to become some sort of sideshow, you know, roadshow rodeo. This is a temptation of arrogance. Jesus, you're so important if you really are who you say you are. Force the hand of God. Force the hand of God to prove to us that you are who you say you are. Throw yourself from this pinnacle and let's see if the angels protect you. The interesting thing is he quotes scripture to do it. He misquotes scripture to do it. Let me say this. Go to 1 Thessalonians if you would. Find the T-books. They're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Thessalonians 5. Remember we talked about knowing the scripture? Man shall not live by bread alone. Go out every day and pick up the word of God. Pick up the bread of life. Eat it. Give us this day our daily bread physically, but also spiritually. Read the word of God. Why do you need to read the word of God? We've been talking about it this whole year. Uh, we've been talking about it for some time now. We need to build our lives on the Bible. Why? You need to know what the Bible says. You need to believe what the Bible says. You need to apply what the Bible says. Why? Why should I know what the Bible says? Because the devil is going to try to trick you and lie to you about what the Bible says. He's lying to Jesus here. He removes this part of Scripture. You know what the Bible says? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Prove all things. Look, somebody shows up at your door, knocks on your door, they got a white shirt on with a, a, a black pants or khaki pants and a, and a, and a, and, and a tie, and they've got a, a, a book that looks like a Bible in their hand, and they call themselves an elder. They show up with a suit and, and, a, and a briefcase full of all sorts of materials that look like they're, you know, got scripture in them. You know what the Bible says? Prove all things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, you're there in 1 Thessalonians, go past 2 Thessalonians, past 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. I'm here to tell you, not everybody that quotes the Bible is, is telling you the truth. You have to prove all things. You say, what do I do? What do I do when I listen to the TV preacher and he says things that don't seem to match what I've heard in church or heard from the Word of God? What do I do when I listen to the radio preacher and he's saying something different um, than what uh, I've kind of seen in the Bible? What do I do? Here's what you do, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hey, here's what you do. You be like those Bereans, which were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Amen. Now look, I don't, think, I don't think you ought to show up to church with this bad attitude, just this critical attitude, like, that pastor, he's guilty until proven innocent. You ought, you ought to come, like the Bereans, they, the Bible says they came ready to receive the word. But you know what? When the word of God is preached to you here, you ought not just assume that Pastor Jimenez or any man is telling you the truth. You ought to go home and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Amen. You ought to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Go to 1 John chapter 4. You're there in 2 Timothy. Go past Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 2 Peter, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You don't you just believe everything you hear. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Go back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. So we have this temptation. It's a temptation of arrogance. He says, if you're the son of God, you know what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you're the son of God, that if you're the Messiah, that if you're the Christ, that if you're the chosen one, that God's not going to let you just die accidentally. So why don't you throw yourself off this pinnacle to prove that, Jesus? He appeals to his arrogance. Sometimes the devil appeals to our arrogance. Sometimes instead of praying prayers like, not my will, but thine be done, we don't say this out loud, but this is what we mean. We say, Lord, not thy will, but mine be done. We don't say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We really want our kingdom come, our will be done. We want God 
to get on our agenda. We want God to get onto our will. We want God to do things for us. Here, Satan says, he, he says, look, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, leaves out in all thy ways, and in their hand they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Here's a response from Jesus, Luke chapter 4 and verse 12. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, this is again a quote, it is written, it is said. Here's, here's how Jesus responds. He says, It is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You say, what does that mean? Well, the word tempt is a word that can mean several things. It can mean temptation, like we read in James, where when a man is tempted, he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But the word tempt can also mean attempted or to test. Like when God did tempt Abraham, and he asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac upon the altar. He was testing him. Here Satan says, hey, I have an idea. Since you say you're the Son of God, and the Son of God is supposed to have uh, these angels that protect him, why don't you throw yourself off the pinnacle to prove, to see if you're the Son of God. See if God will actually do what he said he did. And then Jesus says, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, thou shalt not tempt or test the Lord thy God. He says, I'm not going to put God to a test to see if God will actually do what he said he's going to do. See, here's Jesus' response to this temptation. His response is this. I work for God the Father. God the Father doesn't work for me. I'm here to do the will of the Father. The will of the Father is not there to do the will of mine. I'm not going to throw myself off a pinnacle to see if I can get God the Father to do what God the Father is supposed to do. No, no, no. See, Jesus understood that he was to be uh, 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 submissive unto the will of the Father. And let me tell you something. When Satan shows up and tempts you with arrogance and says, you deserve better. You deserve that. You should not have to put up with that. You don't have to put up with her. You don't have to put up with him. You don't have to do that. You're, you're better than that. Hey, you ought to tell Satan, I'm not here to serve myself. I'm here to serve God the Father. He's in charge. Not my will, but thine be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His response was, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He, his response is, I, God the Father doesn't work for me, I work for him. His response was, I'm not going to test God the Father. I don't put him to a test. He can put us to test. Let me give you, quickly, I've got to finish this thing up. Let me give you the, a tip for temptation here. It's interesting because in this temptation, if you look, if you're there in Luke chapter 4, look at verse 3. And the devil said unto him, notice this, if thou be the Son of God. You see that in Luke chapter 4 and verse 3? If thou be the Son of God. And the devil said unto him, if thou be the Son of God. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the Son of God. It's interesting to me that in Luke chapter 4, Satan keeps bringing up this idea to Jesus. If thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God. He questions that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what's interesting. In Luke chapter 3, we just saw it last week at the baptism of Christ. Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, look at it. Luke 3, 22, the Bible says, at the baptism of Christ, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. It's interesting to me that in chapter 4, Satan keeps questioning if thou be the Son of God. He keeps questioning what God the Father has already stated in chapter 3. In chapter 3, God the Father has already declared that Jesus is my beloved Son. Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But yet Satan shows up a chapter later and says, Well, I know what God said, but if you're really the Son of God. Here's a tip for temptation. Don't let Satan cause you to doubt what God has already stated is true. Amen. Well, if you're really saved, I don't need to prove that I'm saved. I'm saved because I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Amen. Well, if you're, really, if you're really a Christian, let me tell you something, Satan. Get thee behind me. I'm not going to allow you to question. I'm not going to allow you to put a question mark where God has already put an exclamation point. God has already said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. So you can get out of here with your, If thou be the Son of God. I already know I'm the Son of God. Amen. Look at Luke chapter 4. We'll finish this thing up. We see these temptations. 
We see the temptations of appetites. He tempts with physical appetite. What's the response? There's more to life than the fulfilling of physical appetites. And the tip we learn is that we can use the word of God to fight against temptation. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Then we see the temptation of ambition. That you can have wealth and fame and power. And we see the response from Jesus is that though Satan can offer you wealth and fame and power, all I want is God. And we see this tip that Satan always presents his temptations as an impulse buy and as a shortcut. Oftentimes he offers you what God has already told you you can have in a righteous way. You just need to wait on God's timing. Then we see the temptation of arrogance. He says, you're so important, force the hand of God. Make God get on your agenda. Make God submit to your will. And the response is, I don't test God. God doesn't work for me. I work for him. God God is in charge, not vice versa. And we see this tip, don't allow Satan to cause you to doubt what God has already declared. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, we see two kind of statements in regards to just to conclude this thing and finish this thing up. The Bible says, Luke 4, 13, and when the devil had ended all the temptation. Let me give you a couple of lessons on, uh, on temptation, okay? You don't have to turn there. I'm, I'm out of time. I'll just read this for you. If you want to jot this down, you can put this in your notes. The Bible says that the devil departed. Here's a takeaway for temptation. Something for you to remember is this, that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Jesus resisted, and when the devil had ended all the temptations, he departed from him. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But let me say this, look at the last part of verse 13, for a season. This was not the only time Jesus was tempted. He was tempted again of Satan. This is documented for our benefit. But Jesus was tempted throughout his life, and I'm here to tell you, you and I will be tempted throughout our lives. So the first takeaway is this, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The second uh, takeaway is this, because we will be tempted for a season, he will depart for a season, but he will come back and tempt us again. You and I need to learn to flee temptation. The Bible says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with, here's the key, will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. You say, what's the key to uh, 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 having victory over temptation? Here's the key. Whenever there is a temptation, God promises that with the temptation, there's a way to escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That ye may be able to bear it. Remember when Joseph found himself in the house with the mistress by himself, which he should have been there by himself to begin with, and she threw himself upon him? What was he supposed to do? What, 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 what he was supposed to do is exactly what he did. He ran. Flee fornication. Flee idolatry. Flee covetousness. Flee temptation. Because we're going to deal with temptation throughout life. So remember, when temptation shows up, there's a promise from God that says, with that temptation, there's always a way to escape that you may be able to bear. So resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But don't live in the presence of temptation. Run from it. Flee from it. Don't live in the presence of it. Because eventually you'll give in if you don't run. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this passage in Scripture that you've given us. There's so much here and, and so much that we even have to skip. But Lord, we're thankful that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And we're thankful for these stories to teach us that we can also have victory over temptation and to teach us how to respond to temptation. Lord, we love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.